Tonight would have been the start of Matthew chapter 5. It would have been the start of Matthew chapter 5, which many of you may know is, is the beginning of, of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most well-known uh, scriptures, portions of scripture in, in, in the whole Bible. Um, but it's also one of the most misused and misapplied and misquoted uh, portions of scripture in the Bible. Um, but given the fact that I will not be here next Friday, uh, sorry for those of you who care. Uh, I'm going to be on vacation. Yes, we, we take vacations as well. As pastors, we take vacations. So I'm going to be on vacation. And I didn't want to start the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, this week and then next week I'm gone, you know, and then we don't do anything until, until we meet back. So since we are not going to be starting Matthew 5 this week, I decided that we'll do another, uh, another night of a devotional type message. It's going to be a little shorter than usual. And since it's been a while since we've done a dedicated time of prayer, we're also going to do that tonight. So we're going we're gonna to have a dedicated time of prayer after the message. We're going to break off into groups, guys with guys, girls with girls. And, you know, we're just, uh, each group is going to be led by one of the zeal leaders that we have here at zeal. And um, every single person in that group is going to get prayed for by one of the zeal leaders. So um, everyone uh, is, is going to get prayed for. And, you know, it, this is a, it's an incredibly important aspect of our walks, prayer, prayer is. And after the services on, you know, a normal Friday night, we don't usually get to, we don't get a chance for, to pray for everybody. You know, there's just so many people, so many conversations going on. We don't get a chance to pray for everyone. And everyone, you know, has a need. Everyone has a struggle. Every, everyone has a concern. Like, everybody has something. And so these nights that we, that we get to dedicate and devote to prayer are great because, we get a chance to pray for every single person that comes through these doors tonight. Every single person in attendance is going to get prayed for. You know, we get to bear one another's burdens. We get, we get a chance to come alongside each other and just cry out to the Lord uh, on behalf of each other. And it's an amazing privilege that we've been given to, to be able to converse with our God and, and our Creator directly. You know, we don't have to go through anybody. We just go straight to His throne room. And... Since I do want to spend some time in prayer tonight, um, I don't want to take up too much time. I, I, want, to get, I want to get to the prayer. Uh, so let's just get right into the word. So tonight we're going to be in the Gospel of John, John chapter 13 and 14. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn to John chapter 13. And uh, the title of tonight's devotional, if you're taking notes, is Still Preparing. Still Preparing. And so I wanted to spend some time tonight talking about God's grace. You know, I want to talk about God's grace. God's grace. And his graciousness is something that I want to make sure that we never lose sight of. Uh, you know, the, the, Lord has, um, the Lord has pressed it upon me to be the kind of disciple who strives uh, for right doctrine and correct theology. Um, and honestly, I believe that he has called all of us, all of his disciples, all of his children to be those kinds of disciples. We all have been called to be disciples, all of us. If you are a Christian, you've been called to be a disciple. And a disciple is a student. That's what a disciple is, is a student. So we have all been called to be students of Jesus. All been called to be uh, students of Jesus, learning from him. In, in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was the word that became flesh. And so we are to learn from his word. We're to learn this word. And, and that's the heart that, that, you know, that I've brought into this young adult's Ministry. My desire is for, for every single one of you to, to truly be disciples of the Lord and of the Word, to, to know God's Word. 
to have correct doctrine and to have correct theology. But we have to be careful not to turn God merely in a subject, into a subject that we study. Like he's not just a subject that we study. He's not, he's not psychology 101. He's not theology 101. He is our father. He is our father. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. He's our creator. He loves us. When we sin, it hurts him. It hurts him. He takes it personally because he also takes us personally. And so we must have good doctrine. We must have good doctrine. Otherwise, we'll have a false view of God and we'll have a false God that we are worshiping if we have incorrect doctrine. There's a lot of churches out there that have shaky doctrine at best, false doctrine, heretical doctrine at worst, and we don't want that. So we must have good doctrine, but we must also have a good relationship. We must also have a good relationship, and that relationship is founded in large part on grace. It's founded on grace. It's his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, all the things that began this relationship that we have with God. And I know that it can be hard sometimes to believe that God's grace really is surrounding you. Sometimes it can be hard because you sin, you mess up, and you begin to think that you've exhausted God's grace, but nothing could be further from the truth. Even in the midst of you sinning against God, in the midst of your rebellion and your disobedience, God's grace is still covering you, and your reward is still intact. Even, even, when, even when he is extending his grace towards you, even when he's extending his grace towards you, and, and if in the midst of his grace being extended towards you, you are simultaneously sinning against him, his grace is still covering you and overshadowing that rebellion and disobedience. He doesn't change his mind about the grace that he extends. It's still being extended, his grace is. It is his grace is relentless. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, it says, Where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, now grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace reigns in our lives now. Grace reigns, not sin. If you are a child of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, sin no longer reigns. Grace has all the power. Grace has all the power in your life. And that's not just like a new covenant thing, a new testament thing. You know, a few weeks ago, we were looking at the book of Ezra. For those of you who remember, if you're here last night, we looked at the book of Ezra again. I shared that with the general congregation last night, how God brought his people back from captivity. You know, we see God's grace in the Old Testament as well. And actually, I want you guys to see this grace yourself. So if you would do me the favor, turn your Bibles to the book of Haggai. Turn to Haggai. It's the third, the third last book in the Old Testament. So if you know where Matthew is, which you should, because we've been in Matthew for the past, you know, I don't know how many months. So you find Matthew, turn three books to the left. You're going to find Haggai right there. So the people were in captivity. The people were in captivity. And why were they in captivity? Because they were disobedient from, to God. God was disciplining them for refusing to repent. The people were into all kinds of sin and all kinds of idolatry. God sent prophets to tell them to stop or else, or else happened. And, and so, so ba the Babylonians came in and they destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple. Uh, they, they killed many. They starved others. And they took a bunch of people prisoner back to Babylon. And so years later, God begins bringing his people back. He, bringing them back from Babylon 
to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple, the temple that got destroyed, to rebuild what their own sin and disobedience destroyed. So there's some grace right there. God bringing his people back. He didn't abandon his people. He disciplined them with a plan to restore. He was planning to restore them. They didn't deserve another chance, but God gave it to them anyway. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. That's grace. But when God brought them back, what did the people do? Did they get to work right away? Did they get to work right away and start obeying God again? Did they make the most of their second chance? Like, oh, we're not going to waste this shot. Let's do it. We're going to do it right this time. No. Let's read Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. It says this. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through uh, Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So just a little break. The Jews, they started going back to Jerusalem during the reign of Cyrus, the first king of Persia. They started going back to Jerusalem during the, the first year of the first king of Persia, which was Cyrus. And now, in Haggai, we're talking about the second year of King Darius, which, according to history, was about 18 years later. This is 18 years later. 18 years after all of this began. 18 years after the people started making their way to Jerusalem. 18 years later. So keep that in mind. Verse 2, the Lord of hosts says this, these people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. <laughs> Let me say that again. The Lord of hosts says this, these people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. 18 years later, eight, it's, it's still not time to rebuild God's temple 18 years later? This is what the people are saying. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner, he puts his wages into a bag, but the bag has a hole in it. The Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, Bring down lumber and build my house, and then I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little when you brought the harvest to your house. I ruined it, is the Lord saying. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. And we'll stop there. So God was extending his grace to his people and bringing them back for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. That's why he brought them back. He was extending his grace to them. And in the midst of that grace being extended to them, they are rebelling against God again. They are putting themselves first. They are putting God last. I need to make sure I take care of myself first. Then, then I'll serve God. Once I'm taken care of, once I'm established financially, then I'll go serve God. He's the reason that you're even there. He's the reason that you're even there. But even still, even as the people are in disobedience to God in the midst of his grace on them, God still has more grace. He disciplines them by causing all of their work to fail, but his grace is still all the more extended in that he is telling them, I still want you to do the work. 
I'm, I'm keeping my word to you. Like, I called you out. I brought you back from captivity. I brought you back home to Jerusalem. I still want to do the work through you. I still want you to do the work. And even, even when their enemies, when the enemies of Israel, when they came up to them and, and the, the, the Israelites, they became depressed and timid about rebuilding the temple, God extends his grace all the more in Haggai chapter 2 when God tells them that hey, the latter glory of this temple is going to be a lot better than, than the former glory. Trust me. So just keep building. I'm with you. I'm with you. So God's grace is throughout the entirety of the Bible. You know, and we're going to see another revelation of that grace in John chapter 13, which is where I told you to turn at the beginning of this. I mean, you could really just toss your Bible into the air, and then whatever page it opens up to, like, you're probably going to see an example of God's grace, which is kind of how tonight's message got started. That's all I did. I just like, ah, God, where do you want me to go? And then, you know, it opened up to John 13. Just kidding. We don't do, we don't do Bible roulette here. We don't do that. We're intentional. But John chapter 13 and just some context before we, we read the verses. Uh, this is during the Last Supper, John chapter 13 is, uh, the last Passover meal that Jesus has with his disciples. Uh, Jesus, during this Passover meal, he breaks some bread, he passes it around to his disciples, and he says, this, this represents my body that is being given up for you. And then he takes some wine, he gives it to his disciples, and they all take a sip, and he says, this represents my blood, the, the blood that is going to be spilled for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. He begins to wash their, their dirty, nasty, funky feet. I don't want to be near those feet. I don't want to be near anybody's feet. But he begins to wash their feet. But he does this. He does this to show them how they ought to serve each other and how they ought to love each other. And then he begins to tell them that he will be betrayed by one of the twelve. He tells them, one of you is going to betray me. I heard a joke about, about this moment. I don't know if it's inappropriate or if it's blasphemous, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, so there's, it's a joke, remember. It's a joke. Uh, so Jesus is there with all of his disciples, and he lets them know that one of them is going to betray him. And uh, Matthew comes up and says, wait, Jesus, is it me? And Matthew's like, and Jesus is like, no, Matthew, it's not you. I, I love you. Like, don't worry. It's, it's not you. And then Andrew comes up to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, is it me? And, and Jesus says, no, Andrew, no, no, it, it's not you. Don't worry. Don't, don't, don't stress yourself out. Like, I love you. It's, it's not you. And then Judas comes up, and he says, Jesus, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Yeah, anyway. Because <laughs> Judas was going to betray, you know, so he, yes. Anyway. <laughs> so he lets them know that he would be betrayed and he lets Judas know that he knows what he was intending on doing, which was to betray his Lord, to betray his friend, this guy that he's been around for three years. And so Judas, he, he leaves. He leaves the, the upper room after Jesus tells him, what you do, do quickly. Like, just, just get it over with. And this brings us to our text in John chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 31. Verse 31. So when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I tell you, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Verse 36, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? 
Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And we'll stop there. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is, for what is about to come. He's, he's, he's going to get betrayed. He's going to be glorified, which was just a euphemism for being crucified. And he's telling them, like, man, y- y'all got to love each other. Like, it's, it's imperative. Like, you guys, you have to love each other. People are going to know that you are my disciples by the way that you continue on my, my legacy of, of love. You guys got to love each other. But then he also tells them that he's leaving. He's leaving and that they can't come with him, at least not yet. And then Peter speaks up and he says, all right, Lord, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but we can't go where you're going. But why not? Why not? Because Jesus, I will die for you. I'll die for you. If that's what it takes, I'll die for you. And then Jesus gives Peter a very harsh truth. No, Peter, you won't. You wouldn't. In fact, before the dawn of a new day, before the next sunrise, you're going to deny knowing me. You're going to deny that you even know me. Three times you're going to deny knowing me. What a horrible thing to hear about yourself. You know, he had, Peter had this really high view of himself and, and his devotion to God. And let's just give Peter the benefit of the doubt. Everybody always wants to give Peter a hard time. Let's, let's give Peter the benefit of the doubt. And let's just assume that Peter's words, when he said, Lord, I'll die for you, let's just assume that Peter's words, they came from a place of deep love and adoration for Jesus. And, and he truly believed that he would go to that, that, that extent of devotion by dying for him without any bit of pride or arrogance. Let's just assume that. But then Jesus just bursts his bubble. He bursts his bubble. He says, no, you're not as devoted as you think you are, Peter. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind in that moment? Can you imagine what was going through the minds of the disciples in that moment? Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind about what was going through the minds of the disciples in that moment? Jesus was just talking about one of the 12 disciples betraying him. But even after he revealed to Judas that he knew Judas was going to be his betrayer, and after Jesus told Judas what you do, do quickly, this is what it says in John 13, verses 28 through 29, if you want to look. It says, None of those reclining at the table knew why he told Judas this. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So according to the text, the other disciples, except for maybe John, they had no idea that it was going to be Judas who was going to betray Jesus. They had no idea who was going to betray Jesus. It was still a mystery to them. So maybe Peter in this moment of being humbled. Maybe he thought, oh, I'm the betrayer. I'm the betrayer. Jesus said that one of us is going to betray him, and he just said that I'm going to deny him three times. I'm the betrayer. We're not told explicitly in the text, but it's a safe assumption nonetheless that Peter was feeling pretty crummy at this point. Safe assumption. He felt like he let the Lord down before he even let the Lord down. You know, Peter was very talented. You know, he, he can disappoint the Lord before he can disappoint the Lord. 
So as Peter is sitting in this, sitting in this realization that he's not as devoted as he thought he was, that he wasn't as on fire as he thought he was, that, that he can't even trust his own well-intended thoughts and aspirations because his own well-intended thoughts and aspirations were shown to, by Jesus to be false. Jesus, I will die for you. No, you won't. You're actually going to deny me. Have you ever been there before in a situation like that? Like, man, I, I want to do this right. I have every hope that I'm going to do this right. I have every intention that I'm going to do this right. But I just never seem to be able to do this right. And as Peter is marinating in all of this, what are Jesus' next words? Let's pick back up John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. It says, Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Now, don't get thrown off by the fact that this is a new chapter, that this is now chapter 14. This is still the same statement. This is all still this. This is, this is the same breath as chapter 13, where Jesus burst Peter's bubble. And after he hits Peter with that harsh reality of his impending failure and betrayal, in the same breath, he tells him not to be troubled. He says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Jesus, you just said I'm going to deny you. You just said that. Rather than what I envisioned, being so devoted to you that I would die for you, that I would lay down my life for you, instead of that, you said, I'm going to deny you. Not once, not twice, but three times. I'm troubled. But Jesus says, don't be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. That, that where he is going, he's going to prepare a place for them. He is going to heaven. He's going back to be reunited with his father. And he is going to prepare a place for them in heaven. Yes, even you, Peter. Even you. It's as if Jesus was saying, you said you wanted to follow me and that you would die for me. But I told you that you can't follow me and that you're actually going to deny me. But you are going to follow me. And you are going to die for me. You guys following? Does that, does that make sense? This is God's grace. This is God's grace. You have the best intentions to follow God and to obey him in all that you do. But there are times where you are going to fail. There are times where you are going to fail. And God knows that you are going to fail. At any given time, if you wanted, if it were possible, you could approach God. You could approach him with your intentions. And you could let him know, like, God, this week I'm going to do this and that. And I'm going I'm to read my Bible every day. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to stay up late. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. You can tell God all of the things that you're going to do. And at any given time, if you were to approach him with your intentions, he might inform you that it's not going to happen quite the way that you think it's going to happen. You're not going to be as successful as you think in this endeavor to follow and obey me. You're not as devoted as you think you are in this moment. And even as he knows that you are going to fail him and fall on your face, he still says to you, I am preparing a place for you. I am preparing a place for you in heaven. My grace is so much greater than all of your failures. You could fail in your walk a hundred, a thousand, a million times over, 
and my grace is still going to overshadow all of that, and I'm still preparing a place for you in heaven. You are still my child. You are still my child. That is God's grace. It's never-ending. You can't exhaust it. You can't exhaust God's grace. You know, there, there's, a, there's a slightly older worship song that we used to sing. Uh, the, one of the lyrics says that if his grace is an ocean, then we're all sinking. Well, I'm, I'm going to take that a step further. And I'm going to say that if I'm sinking and drowning in his grace, then I don't even want to bother learning how to swim. I'm just going to let it take me under. I'm going to go ahead and sink and drown in it all day. This is God's grace. This is God's grace. He knows all the many ways that you have failed him in the past, and he knows all the many ways that you are going to fail him in the future. And he could tell you, he could tell you every exact disgusting and painful and vile detail of the many ways that you are going to sin against him in the future. But because of his never-ending grace, his words to you will always be, I am still preparing a place for you, and I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you can be also. So if you are a believer and you are finding yourself struggling to walk strongly, you keep falling short, allow his grace to move you. Allow God's grace to move you. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not his justice. It's not his severity. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to a place of truly changing our minds and thinking about our lives and our sin differently, the way that he thinks about it. And if there's anybody in here who... Um, doesn't have a faith in Jesus Christ, well, here's a harsh truth for you in the same vein that Jesus gave a harsh truth to Peter. If you don't have faith in Jesus, then none of God's grace applies to you. None of it. Absolutely zero of God's grace applies to you if you do not believe in Jesus. As far as God is concerned, you are his enemy because your sin is so offensive to him. And what he desires to do, being a just God, is to apply justice to you by punishing you and your sin forever in hell, an eternal torment. But God is not only just, God is also love. He's love. And so he took care of justice by punishing your sins on the cross in Jesus Christ. He applied your sins to Jesus when he crucified him on the cross. And now he wants to apply the perfection of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness that he achieved, and he wants to apply it to you. But the only way that that can happen is if you believe. That's the only way that that can happen. If you do not believe in it, if you don't believe in this message, if you don't believe in the good news of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins, then the righteousness of Christ cannot be applied to you. And you have no hope. There is no forgiveness. There is no salvation. Not apart from the faith in Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the only way. So if you'd like to receive forgiveness, and anybody who would like to receive forgiveness, if you'd like to receive salvation from God's punishment, and you'd like to be with him forever in heaven, all you need to do is believe. You just believe. You receive the free gift and follow him. You need to change your mind. You need to change your ways. And he can give you the power to do that. Because when you believe in this message, when you believe in the gospel, the good news, God promises to live inside of you in his Holy Spirit. He promises you that. And he will change you, and he will make you new. But you must receive this free gift first, and you have to believe and so I want to invite all of you to do that as we pray. So let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for tonight. Uh, Lord, I just, uh, I pray, Lord, that your word, although it was short tonight because of what we want to focus on a little later, uh, God, I pray that it still minister to your people. And, and Lord, I pray, Father, that if, if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, who doesn't have a relationship with you, uh, that they would realize, God, that they, they do need you. I pray that you have opened their eyes. You've opened their heart to see that they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help them into this saving faith that is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And, um, yeah, God, I just pray that you'd be with us during this, this next time of, of prayer, of focused prayer. And uh, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you, uh, if there's anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus and you, you, know, you heard the gospel and you decided, like, hey, I need, I need, I need to exercise faith in Jesus Christ, um, I just want to let you know uh, what that means. You know, um, as I said, you know, we're all born dead in our sins, and unless you believe in Jesus Christ, it's, it's impossible for you to be right with God. It's impossible. It's impossible. You, you could say, I'm a good person all you want. It's not going to work. Because if you've broken one of God's laws, you've broken all of them. So that's it. If, if the Bible says that, the, the, the God who said, do not commit adultery, is the same God that said, do not murder. So if you, if, you've, if you haven't committed murder, but you have committed adultery, then you've also committed murder. Because he said he gave both of those laws. So both of those laws, if you've broken one law, you've broken all of God's laws. There's no such thing as being good enough. There's no such thing as your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. It's impossible. It's impossible. Every time you break one of God's laws, you are breaking all of God's laws. And God is perfect. His law is perfection. So when you stand before God, there will be nothing that you can claim and say, God, no, but I'm a good person. I did all these good things. Have you broken my law? Yes. Then you're guilty. You're guilty. Your sentence is death forever. But that's why he sent his son. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ took the punishment on your behalf. He took what would have taken an eternity to pour out on us. He took it in a matter of three hours. It took three hours because Jesus was perfect, because Jesus was God, because Jesus was the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So it took three hours of being punished on the cross, what would have taken forever for God to punish us for. That's incredible. And all one needs to do is just to believe in that message. Just believe in it. That's all that it takes. It's a free gift of salvation. God is begging you to take this free gift. He's, he's, he's not going to force it upon you, but he's begging you to take this free gift of salvation. So I guess I'm going to ask again, if, is there anybody in here who wants to receive that free gift of salvation? I don't know all of you, so I, I can't confirm whether or not you're a believer. I, it's really not up to me to decide that. But if you know that the Lord is speaking to you, that you need to give your life to Christ, that you need forgiveness of your sins, then I want to pray for you. So is there anybody in here who is in that position where they want to give their lives to Christ so that they can receive forgiveness for their sins? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Boom. Okay. Praise the Lord. Welcome. Welcome. What's your name? What is it? Megan. Okay. 
Is this your first time coming into contact with the gospel? You've heard it before? So, so what happened is just like it made sense this time? Okay. Well, you came to the right place. Well, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm glad that the Lord spoke to you, even though, like, this isn't, I don't mean it the way it's going to sound. E- even though you just got here, the Lord, the Lord still spoke. So I'm thankful for that. All right, so Megan, anybody else? Anybody else? Because I want to pray for Megan, but I want to pray for anybody else who, who, feels, who knows that they need, they need to make this profession of faith. Anybody? Okay. All right, well, let's pray for Megan. Father, I thank you for Megan. I thank you that you brought her here tonight. And Lord, I just pray that you would help her to understand uh, the depths of your love, the depths of your kindness, the depths of your grace and your mercy. All of these things that, that your word says moves us to repentance. It, the, your kindness moves us to, to change our minds and for us to think differently about who you are and who we are and who we are in relation to our sin. It's your kindness that does that. And so, Father, I just pray that Megan would know how kind and loving and gracious you are, and that that knowledge would cause her to move away from her sin, to love the things that you love and to hate the things that you hate, God. And I pray that you would help her to be consistent in this walk, Lord. If, if Megan knows you, Lord, if, if Megan is indeed born again, then God, I just pray that the, that the spirit that she has been quenching would, would, would just be mighty and powerful in her, Lord overcome all of, all of the inconsistencies in her life. But if this is the first time that Megan is truly coming into, into the realization that she actually needs Jesus and the forgiveness and, and there's something different this time, Lord, then I pray that your spirit would cause her to be born again and to be a new creature. But whatever the case, Lord, we just pray for a fruitful walk and a fruitful life with Christ. And we thank you for Megan being here. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.